on the screen this morning. It is a wonderful, wonderful, amazing psalm. I think maybe you have heard it before, and this morning I think maybe you are going to hear some things in a brand new and fresh way that um, as we kind of lay it out there this morning, it's just going to be kind of a buffet of stuff for you with this psalm. And, and maybe everything you might kind of say, oh, that's not, but there's going to be something in this psalm just for you. And so when you see it, you grab it and you take it and you put it in your heart and say, Lord, that was for me. Thank you. And so I'm believing that this morning with this Psalm 23. On the screen, the Lord, the Psalm of David. Nothing is going right this morning. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We've got to be really quick. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful beautiful psalm. See, this psalm is so many different things wrapped into one. Um, How this originated would be in the start of David. David wrote this psalm, and it would would have started as something very private. Uh, It would be kind of like maybe our journaling today or something that you would write just for you. So this was something that David would, would have written. But what had happened is sometimes these psalms that can turn into songs that also turn into prayers, what happens is they often can become really the calling card, the cry for an entire nation. And so what happens is when Israel finds itself, and oftentimes in, in times of distress, this would be something that would be sung inside the congregation. So there would be a gathering of people, and the nation would come together, and this would be sung together. As a group of people, they would sing this song, this psalm of David, this prayer of David, this poetry of David, and they would do it together as a group. Now, this is, this is the same David that conquered uh, the, the lion, the bear that killed Goliath. This is the David that was a man of war and went out and was conquering all these things. This is the David that was a shepherd that made his way to the palace and made his way to king over all of Israel. And so David finds these songs in his heart, and many of these psalms in the entire book are written by David. And it's gone from something that's inside of his heart to something that's made public inside of a worship service, much like we have here today. And I love the way he starts it. He starts it with, the Lord is my shepherd. This is important because this is a man that was a shepherd. This was his beginning. He was there out tending the sheep. And, and, and we look at his journey, we look at his path to the, to the palace, and, and it's amazing just to see that through all of it, through him being a shepherd himself, through him being king over all of Israel, he looks and he says, through all of this, God, you 
are my shepherd. No matter where you take me, no matter where you have me on the journey, the reality is you are in control. You're in control of my life. Even whenever I'm the shepherd of just the sheep, even whenever I am the king over all of Israel. He's saying, God, you are my shepherd. It's about you. You are in control. Uh, this is something I think that the, the earlier on that we learn this, the better. Because control is really an illusion. You just think that you're in control. You, you want to think you have everything all tidied up, and the reality is you are in God's hand, and he is in control of everything. And all of these other things are really just our own illusions. And David's coming, and he's coming to the congregation. And it, what's amazing is how it starts off. It starts off with him singing this testimony, this psalm, this poetry, and he's talking to people, and he's saying, listen, the Lord is my shepherd. At every stage of my life, now, we don't know when this psalm was written, if it was written when he was a young man or whether it was written later on in life. Some people would say, man, it was written when he was young because he starts off talking about a shepherd. I would kind of lean towards the other side that it was lit, written later on just because he talks later about how, l listen, these enemies are around me and, God, you've made a table before me. So there's a part of me that thinks, well, maybe this was written later on. But either way, no matter when it was written, the reality is it was sung throughout all of these days of his life. It was sung in the congregation. People would hear these things. And so David, with, with his king's crown, with all of the glory that everyone's given him, and he's saying, listen, guys, the Lord is my shepherd. That I know you might think that I'm in control, but he's in control. The Lord is is my shepherd. I shall not want. Isn't it an amazing thing to be free from wants? To be free from wants. Just the other day, uh, we got a phone call, or Devin got a phone call, and her mom's talking to her, and, and we're, we're going down there Christmas Day, and she, she's asking Devin, well, what can I put in Lucas's stocking? And Devin's asking me, and I'm thinking, I really don't want anything. Wait a minute, I want some boxers and some socks. <laughs> I've officially gotten old. <laughs> like, whenever you say that, this is what I want for Christmas, boxers and socks, that's just, you know, I'm two steps away from AARP. And <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but, and not red boxers, I, you know, and then, but anyway. And so, but, you know, there's this kind of thing, I'm kind of free from wants for this moment, <laughs> But then there's the reality that I'm just one Bojangles commercial away <laughs> from wanting everything. Oh, I want that. And, and we live in this world that everything about it is telling us we have got to want stuff. You will be slammed with billboards and commercials and advertisement and all of these things saying, Houston, you've got to want these things. To have happiness, to have this, you've got to want this, and this will make you happy. And David's getting there, and he's saying, listen, God's in control, and I don't need a thing. What I need is God. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. Here's the thing about our wants. Um, this week, the lady came around the neighborhood, and she's passing out those phone books, you know, those things. And, and I have to go through this every year, and I have to say, listen, I'm sorry, I don't want your phone book, but it's free. I still don't want it. 
you know, I, I just don't want this thing. I don't need it. If, if you leave it here, I'm just going to throw it in the trash. Please take your phone book with you. And I'm not trying to be rude, but who needs a phone book, you know? And, and then I show up to church this morning, and on the door or on my chair, there is a phone book. And I'm, all right, thanks. They're going to get me this phone book no matter what, and it will be in the trash later. But I begin to think that really everything in life is like that phone book. There was a time where, man, we needed our phone books. I, need, I needed to know somebody's phone number. How'd you look it up? You looked it up in the phone book. We needed it. Now, you can't give it away. Matter of fact, there's a sign on the bank at bb that says, we no longer accept your phone books. Don't bring them here. We don't want them. We won't, you know, and we don't. But the reality is that's true of everything in life. That thing that you think you want so much will become like that phone book. That car that you just have to have, it's only a matter of time before it becomes like that phone book. All cars turn into junk. All of, all of these things, all of these things that we think we want eventually turn into phone books. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. I like this, this, the very first part where it says, he makes me lie down. The reality of that, God makes me. Because there, I don't know about you, but there are times where God has to make me. Because there's this something inside of me that just says, well, I've got to work harder. I've got to do more things. I've got, I've, got to, I've got to get this much more disciplined to be able to take care of this situation. Uh, and then there's part of me that thinks, man, if I just have enough willpower, I could overcome this thing. And then there's the reality when you look at yourself in the mirror and you know that you can't do it. You can't muster up enough willpower to beat this thing. You can't just make yourself disciplined enough to be where you need to be. And God's saying, listen, I am going to make you stop. I'm going to make you stop running around and all the, all the busyness and all of the things, and all these things that you think you can do. And God's saying, I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. And this is the farthest thing from our mind that we want to do because we're in the middle of something. Listen, God, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got my checklist. I have all of these things to do. And God's saying, stop. I'm going to make you stop. And, and, then, and then he says this, I'm going to restore your soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me beside the still waters. The fact is that we need him. Sometimes we need him to stop us. And then it gives us the purpose. Why? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. All of these things that he's doing, he's doing because, listen, we're created in his image and his likeness. And God's saying, part of who I am is I know how to rest. I know how to work and I know how to speak things into creation. I know how to uh, first day, second day, light, stars, moon, um, cats, animals, dogs, all of these things, human beings, and then I know how to rest. And on the seventh day, he rested. He said, part of being like me is knowing when to stop. Part of his image and his likeness, part of the fingerprint of God on our lives is knowing how to rest. 
And what's happened is in today's society, we've moved so far away from that, that we're a people that, man, we're just work, 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 work. And then, and then we're very familiar with these words like, well, I'm burnt out. Well, I'm just frustrated. Well, I'm just, well, are you resting? Have you learned to take a Sabbath? Have you learned to just stop even in the midst of the storm? And so David is singing the song, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if you look at this song, the beginning, the language of it that he's using is when he's talking, he's talking to the people about the Lord. He is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me. He leads. He restores. He leads for his name's sake. Then, all of a sudden, halfway through the psalm, the tone changes. It says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. You anoint. And so it goes from being about God to now being towards God. So he's seeing there, he's standing, he's giving this testimony, and in the middle of this testimony, this song, this praise, he says, listen, I've gone through things, there's been struggles, there's been valleys of the shadow of death, and in the midst of his attention goes and says, but listen, God, you. And so it's no longer him just speaking to the people, now he's speaking to God, and his attention has focused, Lord God, you, you, your rod, your staff, your table. Your not, and he, he's just pouring out his heart in the midst of it. And it comes at the switch in the psalm where it starts talking about things start to change. All of a sudden it goes from there's these green valleys. Man, he's leading beside these green valleys. Now all of a sudden there is this valley of the shadow of death. Has your life ever felt like that? I have a picture of this. Have you ever felt like at one moment your life is just this green valley? Man, everything that could go right is going right. Everything's awesome. Job's good. We got money in the bank account. Kids are doing good. Husband's doing good. Wife's doing good. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're in a Lord of the Rings movie. (laughs) Bam, what? Wait a second. What just happened? You all know what I'm talking about. When the storm in life comes, when the storms come, um, there's all different types of storms. Two particular types that I like to talk about this morning really relate to my daughter. Uh, The first storm is this. We are sitting in the living room, and she is in her high chair booster seat thing, whatever it's called, and there's the tray in front of her, and she has all of these beautiful, delicious, scrumptious amounts of food. And I'm sitting over there, and I look at her, and she picks up a handful of rice, and she looks at me, (laughs) and she looks at the rice. And I look at her, and I say, don't even think about it. (laughs) And she looks at me again, and she throws the rice. (laughs) And I say, baby, listen, there's going to be consequences for your action. If you throw that rice one more time, you're going to be in trouble. And so she picks up the rice. <laughs> and she looks at me. Man, the joys of throwing this rice. Dad, you just don't know. Kobe, you just don't know. Go ahead, throw the rice. But then there's another time where she's willingly, she's willingly made this decision of, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it. But then there's this other time, the other day, we're walking, and um, 
I'm walking up the stairs, and we're getting her ready for something. And all of a sudden, I hear the water come on. I'm thinking, oh, no, what has she gotten into? And apparently, she's gone to the bathroom. She's taken her little girl's potty, and she's moved it up to the sink, climbed from the floor to the potty, from the potty to the sink, is now sitting inside the sink with the water on, (laughs) splashing and just loving Yes, this is awesome. She just loves water. But then there's this moment where she realizes, I can't get down from here. (laughs) Wait a minute. This was fun. But now I'm in real trouble. Dad! Dad, dad! Dad, dad! And dad comes to the rescue. And so there's these two types of storms. The one storm she (laughs) willingly got in trouble. The other storm, all of a sudden, she's just in a situation where, wow, I I don't know how to get out of this thing, and I need some help. It was very much unwillingly. And David, singing the song, singing the song, singing the psalm, and saying, listen, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David is very familiar with both types of storms. There's times in this man's life where he willingly goes against God's will for his life. Probably the most famous one is with Bathsheba. He sees this woman, ah, I've got a plan, I've got to have her, so he does. And and in the meantime, he ends up killing her husband. But there's another one that maybe we aren't as familiar with, and that is in the book of 1 Chronicles and chapter 21. David has this idea, and he wants to take a census. He wants to count all of the people, and this is totally against what God has for him. And so he does this thing. He goes out anyway, and he counts the number of fighting men in Israel. And verse 20 and 7 says this, And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, therefore he struck Israel. And David said to God, God, I have sinned greatly. Because I have done this thing, and now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolish. I've done wrong, God. He's saying, listen, I've sinned. You told me not to do this thing. I did it anyway. I threw the rice. God, I'm sorry. And he's turning to God. And then God says this. God spoke to him in verse 10 and said, go and tell David, saying, thus saith the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose which of them for yourself that I may do it. In essence, God is saying this, go pick your switch. Have y'all, y'all remember that? Now, I know we're like in the year, you know, modern, and you're not supposed to beat your kids. But back in the day, my mama and daddy beat this butt. And they would, you know, there was that thing called go get your switch. It's like, what? You've got to go get your own weapon that you're going to beat me with? Like this? And so you go and you find like the, like the most kind of switch that you think, oh, this is going to, you know, one hit and a break and no worries. And then... But then it stung so bad, and you're like, ah, so next time you tried to, well, maybe a thicker stick. And, but either way, it always hurt. But this is what God's saying to David. Listen, you've sinned. You've messed up. One of these three things, pick them. And I love how David responds in verse, thing, verse 13. David says this. David says, I am in great distress, God, but please let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hands of man. He's saying this, listen, God, no matter what it is, no matter the consequences for my action, Lord God, it's me and you. Lord, because I know that you are merciful. I know that you are good. 
And see, that's the thing about whenever God disciplines us. When a, whenever David is be able to get before the congregation and say, listen, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, your, your discipline, even in the midst of this, I know that you love me. Here is a fact for somebody in here this morning. You have willingly sinned against God. You have done something, and now you find yourself in the midst of the storm. You knew you weren't supposed to do it. You did it anyway. And there's going to be consequences for your actions. But this is what you need to realize. Even in the midst of his discipline, he loves you. And his mercies are for you. And his goodness is for you. And his rod and his staff, they comfort even in the midst of his discipline. See, with man, when something goes wrong, we like to just throw people to the wolves. We just like, oh, and we label them. Oh, you're a sinner, you're an outcast, and you're, you're rejected, you're fired, and all of these things. And listen, God's saying, listen, there, there's consequences for these things. Listen, David, you've done wrong, but listen, fall into my arms. And David knows that, listen, in the arms of the Lord are way better than the arms of man. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me few things um, about the rod and the staff there in David's day. There was all different types of rods and staffs that the shepherds would use to keep their sheep. Probably the most famous one would be a long stick with a hook on the end, and then on the other end of it would be a point. Um, but there were other types. There were, there were ones that would have just a staff, and then they, there were People would have a second weapon that would kind of have like a club end on it. And then there were these staves that had just a club end on it. But then on the other side would be kind of like a pitchfork um, type thing. And so it would be used for different things. One end was used to keep the sheep in line and kind of maintain them and move them. All the way. But then the other end of this rod would be used to protect the sheep. It would keep away you know, as David even said, like, with lions, with bears, with snakes, these things that would try to attack the sheep. And so whenever he's saying, listen, your rod and your staff, they come for me, I think it's a beautiful thing that the Lord's discipline and the Lord's protection often can be in the very same thing. His discipline and his protection, this, this rod, the staff, he said, listen, God, I know that you're for me. And, and there's a part of us sometimes that, that we kind of want to kind of blame things on God and say, listen, well, God, why did this happen? Why, why are these things? We have no clue all the things that he kept us from. We have no idea all of the protection that he's provided for us throughout these years. You just don't know that that drunk driver was supposed to hit you. And you just kept driving on by. I say, listen, there's, there's a reality that sometimes there's discipline. And God's taking us and saying, listen, you can't go over here. You have to go this way. But then also on that same stick is him saying, listen, I'm protecting you. And there would be this thing that the shepherds would do. And the sheep would come and they would pass underneath the shepherd's rod. And when they would do this, it would be for a few different reasons. One is because the sheep had been marked. Uh, oftentimes on the ear, there would be a, a particular mark of that shepherd that they would mark their sheep with. And so when the sheep would come in, they would be looking at the sheep to make sure that that sheep is their sheep, that it bears the mark of the shepherd. And so when they're coming in, they're, they would pass underneath the rod. Matter of fact, let me read you a couple verses about that. Leviticus 27, 32, concerning the tithe of the herd of the livestock, 
Even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, a tenth shall be given to the Lord. Ezekiel 20, 37. And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And so, remember, this is a language that's very familiar to these people that are very familiar with being shepherds. And so this, these, these sheep would pass underneath the rod. They would count them. Oh, th- this one is mine. But they would also be inspecting the sheep. They would be looking like if there's something wrong with it. There, is there some kind of skin disfiguration or all these things? And so they're looking at the sheep. They're inspecting them. And all of these things, one, it showed ownership. This is my sheep. It bears my mark. It also shows that you are coming underneath the care and the protection of this shepherd. And so whenever we read these verses about passing under the rod, whenever David says, listen, your rod and your staff, they come for me. In other words, listen, God, I'm underneath your discipline. And there are times where, yes, your discipline hurts and and it's painful. But in realization, even though you discipline me, I am also in your care and your comfort. And it's up to you to take care of me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He's doing these things. And see, see the, the reality is sometimes we have willfully put ourselves in situations where we need his discipline. In the midst of it all, God's saying, listen, I still love you. Fall into my arms. But then there's also the storm where it's very unwillingly, where all of a sudden something happens in our life. And just like my daughter in that sink, we realize we're in a situation that we just don't know how to get out of. And our day is going perfect and everything's going good. And then sometimes all of it takes is just one phone call to go from the valley that's full of green grass to all of a sudden I am in the shadow of death. It takes one phone call. It takes one neighbor. It takes sometimes one word. Cancer. Alzheimer's, fired, rejected. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in the midst of the storm. But here's what we don't realize. That even though those things could happen in a moment, the opposite is also true. That it only takes one moment for you to go from that valley of the shadow of death to all of a sudden being back in that green pasture. It only takes one word from God. It only takes one touch from him to make that cancer leave. To make that, that phone call that you thought was going to destroy you. Now all of a sudden, man, life has just turned around. And God, I don't know what you did, but you did something in my life. I can't even explain it, but God, you did it. The opposite is true. God has a way of taking and making everything right. One breath, one touch. The disciples in that boat and everything is rocking and the world is going down. And, and they just think, man, we're not even going to survive this thing. One word from God. And they're on flat waters. Do you feel like maybe the waves in life are tossing you to and from? Have you found yourself in the midst of the storm? God is your shepherd. God is your your leader. God is your restorer. And your rod and your staff, God, they comfort me. I think the key to this thing, the key to 
uh, David being able to, to sing this to everyone is the fact that it shows where his attention goes. See, at first, it just, it's this testimony of God, but then all of a sudden, when he starts talking about the storm, he's focusing on God. And sometimes when we're in the midst of the storm, when everything seems to go wrong, we want to look at everything else around us. And God's saying, I want you to look at me. I want you to look up. Don't look at all the circumstances. Don't look at what everybody else is telling you. Put your attention, your focus on me. Because when we do, things change. Because here's what can happen. When we don't do that, even in the midst of the storm, even God becomes very scary. Even God. See, there's this, t- there's this moment where the disciples were told three, three different times in the Gospels where they're on the boat and the wind was against them and they were being tossed. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes and he's walking on the water. And whenever they see him, they thought he was a ghost. Like, oh, man, it was this ghost. But then all of a sudden, Peter stands up, and Peter says, listen, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And he gets out the boat and starts walking on the water, which this has always kind of intrigued me a little bit because that makes no sense at all because if they did think he was a ghost, wouldn't the ghost just lie and say, sure, come on out. Come walk on the water. And then he would have just sunk. But no, see, it shows us that there's something inside of the, these disciples that they want to believe. Listen, even though from a distance, God, it looks like you're scary, God, I want to get out of this boat. I want to do whatever it takes to walk on this water with you, to have peace in the middle of this storm. And sometimes when we don't put our attention on God and when we just look at the things around us, even God himself can become scary. God is there. He says, listen, David, David says this in, in the continuation of Psalms 23. Let me get it back here. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. He's saying, listen, even in, even in the midst of all this, see th- this anointing with oil, it's something, again, we're not very familiar with, but David would, would be very familiar with this. Because there was this time in his life where the prophet came to his house and says, listen, I want you to gather up all of your sons and we're going to anoint one of them and one of them's going to be king. And all of the family comes before this man of God and he says, it's none of these guys. And David has been forgotten in the field. And maybe there's someone in here that you feel like you have been forgotten in the field. You feel like, man, I'm doing all of these things and nobody's recognizing them. No, nobody sees all of these things. God sees. Because God says, listen, no, there's another. Do you not have another one? And then David comes in and they anoint him with oil. Saying, listen, all of these things, God knows. God sees. And what's, what's done in secret will be rewarded in public. See, that's not just a bad thing. <laughs> it's a good thing as well. All of these things, all these things, I know God sees them. And he will prepare a table in the very presence of your enemies. In other words, this, the storm may not always stop, may not always stop, but you can have peace in the middle of it. God likes to give you tables, little beams of sunlight in the midst of the storm. You anoint 
my head with oil. You are not forgotten. Your cup runs over. You may feel empty, but God, I assure you, wants to fill you up. And so he's singing the song. He's giving this testimony. His attention's gone from, listen, this is, this is about God, so his attention's gone to God. And now all of a sudden, in verse 6, he says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And this word surely here, this is, this is almost like an amen. This is where he's speaking to the people, and he's speaking to God. And he says, listen, in the midst of all of this, in everything that I'm going through, God, this is the outcome. The only thing that could possibly happen is that goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because you are my shepherd. You guide me, and in you, I don't need a thing. Everything I need is in you. You lead me. You restore me. Whenever, whenever I just want to go, 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 you make me stop. You make me lie down in these green pastures. Whenever my world gets flipped upside down, and I find myself in the midst of this death valley, Lord God, you are still there with me. Even when I willingly make these bad decisions, Lord God, you still love me, and you still care for me, and you still want to hold me close, because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And all of these things, he's, he's giving this amen, this surely, this is what will happen. And he says, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This world forever is translated from this. Literally, it means this. And all days without end. That we would be with him for days without end. What a beautiful picture of gifts in the midst of it all. Through the good times and the bad, God, you are there with me. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we thank you that you are our shepherd. Lord, that in you, we don't need a thing. Lord, for some of us that even today, you would make us lie down in green pastures. Lead us beside those still waters. Restore our souls for your name's sake. Lord, for those in this room that find themselves in the midst of the storm, whether willingly or unwillingly, Lord God, I thank you that you want to fill our cups, that you prepare a table before us in the very presence of our enemies, and that at the outcome, at the end of all of this, goodness and mercy will follow us. You are our shepherd. You are a king. My trust is not in myself. My trust is not in my family. My trust is not in my job, my bank account, my title. My trust is not into all of those things in which I may find myself comfortable. But my trust is in you, God. And I have faith that you are faithful, even when I'm not. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, before we dismiss, uh, I have a little homework assignment for everyone. This psalm 
is made up of six verses. And so what I'd like you to do over the, the next week is I want you to take one verse from each one of these psalms and just think about it each day. So tomorrow, Monday, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just make that be your prayer for Monday. And then Tuesday, your prayer is going to be, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And we're going to do this throughout the week. So we got six days. And then Sunday, we are going to gather again here, and we are going to celebrate and love and see what God has done in the midst of all of this. Sound like a good plan? Great. Um, there's going to be some people up here that would love to pray with you if you have any prayer requests. And know that we are praying for you guys. Uh, thank you. We love you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, and enjoy.